1: Hello, and welcome to PAST, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is... Martin Luther's 95 Thesis. Hello. So today you'll be listening to Luther's 95 Theses. I recorded these a few weeks ago, and I was planning to release it earlier, but as those of you who follow me on social media know, I've had a horrible shock recently. My parents and one of my sisters were visiting Australia from the US in mid-October, It appears they caught COVID-19 on their flight here. My mother was hospitalized about five days after their arrival due to health complications from this, and she recovered well and came back to my house after just a few days. My father was also very unwell, but he is a bit of a stubborn man and wouldn't go to the hospital. He was prescribed medication and appeared to be getting better. Sadly, likely due to pre-existing health issues exacerbated by COVID, he died. I would like to thank the Canberra paramedics who attended to him and really did all they could. They were honestly amazing. The ACT police and coroner's office have been helpful. I'm struggling still, and I think I will be for a very long time. It's important to me, though, to get back to writing and recording because I love this work, and also my dad loved what I was doing. He has always been supportive of my creative endeavours, even if he didn't understand why I did these things. I do miss him so much and I just want to thank you all for your understanding while I took a short break. I will be heading to the US for a few weeks soon. And I just want to thank you all for understanding while I take a short break. I haven't felt strong enough to record any full episodes, but I'm continuing to write and read and prepare things. So once I get home from the US in a few weeks, I will get back on recording and hopefully get back on track. And thank you all again in advance for understanding. This has just been a really difficult time. After I finish this series, my first series in the new year will be about Suleiman the Magnificent. After that, I will look into the Portuguese interregnum, and then I'll be discussing the High Kings of Ireland, which will be a very different series that is looking more at the political and cultural context of a society, and I'm really looking forward to that one. Another heads up, I recently recorded a second episode with Battle Royale, and it was about Charles of Orléans. So I hope you will all go listen to that. I really enjoyed working with them, and it was a good way to get back into recording where I wasn't sitting in a room talking to myself, I was talking to two of my friends. And I'm really grateful to Ben and Eliza for having me, um, and it was really, really nice to work on that. Now, with today's episode, I'll be reading the 95 theses, but in light of events in my personal life and world events, I want to have a quick conversation about a few important topics that actually relate to Martin Luther. On October 7th, Hamas attacked Israel, as many of you will know. This attack was horrible and my heart breaks for everyone involved. This attack killed more than 1400 people who were just going about their everyday lives and at least 200 people were kidnapped. Now my numbers may be off and we'll see what the numbers were once things are updated. Israel's response was to declare war on Gaza, where Hamas is the governing body. This war has killed at the time of recording an unknown number of Palestinians in the range of 10,000 people. Both of these events are horrible. While I enjoy a great deal of Luther's writings and philosophy, the idea that the individual must educate themselves is so important. Luther's anti-Semitism is something that cannot be ignored. His writings are full of it, and it is one of his great failings, especially because he didn't even bother educating himself in any detail about Judaism. Anti-Semitism is not okay. At the same time, Islamophobia is not okay. Palestinians in Gaza are by and large children, and they at this point have limited access to food and water, let alone safe shelter. I need to say this next bit carefully, and hopefully I'm nuanced in the way I'm saying it. Both Jews and Palestinians are the indigenous people of the area of the world that we call Palestine or Israel. Many Palestinians are likely descended from Jews who converted to Islam, and plenty of Jews are ethnically Palestinian. There has to be a solution to this that recognizes the rights of both groups of people to exist and have functional societies. I'm not the person to solve this problem. You might not be either, but I ask that each day you remember the humanity of each person hurt by this conflict and avoid painting those involved with a discriminatory brush. This doesn't mean don't speak up. And that is what my father taught me regularly. Everything is political. Your job is political. Your boss cares about politics, I promise. Your purchasing decisions are political. What you watch on TV is political. You shouldn't be paralyzed by this. You should make the best choices you can with the information you have. And in this political event, remember that you may not feel like your voice counts, but it does. Write your representative and let them know where you stand. My father was an active member of his union. He was a postal worker. The APWU is a rather active union. He believed that if we work together, we can do great things and make things better. And I'm not going to turn this into a political specific podcast, but I'm not going to shy away from politics. As you should all know, you've probably noticed this in earlier episodes. I truly want each person to have a safe place to live, an education, food, shelter, clothing, and some nice things in life and choices for their future. With that, here are Luther's 95 theses. And thank you all again. Welcome. Today I'm literally going to be reading Martin Luther's 95 theses. Hopefully I can get through this. Normally I read from a teleprompter. But today I'll be scrolling through so you may hear some clicks. I got this from Luther.de. It's the English translation, which I found through Google, and I hope it will work. Within this, are, of course, Luther's references to various Bible passages that he uses as justification for his theses. And when I get to each one of those, I'll read that Bible passage for you as well. Hopefully I have them all in the right order. I think I do. I think I'm good. All right, let's go. One, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to one of repentance and that comes from Matthew four seventeen, which says from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand two this word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance that is confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy three yet it does not mean solely inner repentance Such inner repentance is worthless unless it produces various outward mortification of the flesh. 4. The penalty of sin remains as long as the hatred of self, that is, true inner repentance, namely till our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. 5. The Pope neither desires nor is able to remit any penalties except those imposed by his own authority, or that of the canons 6. The Pope cannot remit any guilt except by declaring and showing that it has been remitted by God or, to be sure, by remitting guilt in cases reserved to his judgment. If his right to grant remission in these cases were disregarded, the guilt would certainly remain unforgiven 7. God remits guilt to no one unless at the same time he humbles him in all things and makes him submissive to the vicar, the priest. 8. The penitential canons are imposed only on the living, and according to the canons themselves, nothing should be imposed on the dying. 9. Therefore, the Holy Spirit through the Pope is kind to us insofar as the Pope in his decrees always makes exception of the article of death and of necessity. 10. Those priests act ignorantly and wicked who in the case of the dying reserve canonical penalties for purgatory. 11. Those tears of changing the canonical penalty to the penalty of purgatory were evidently sown while the bishop slept. This is Matthew thirteen twenty five. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 12. In former times, canonical penalties were imposed, not after, but before absolution, as test of true contrition. 13. The dying are freed by death from all penalties, are already dead as far as the canon laws are concerned, and have a right to be released from them. 14. Imperfect piety, or love on the part of the dying person, necessarily brings with it fear, and the smaller the love, the greater the fear. Fifteen. This fear, or horror, is sufficient in itself, to say nothing of other things, to constitute the penalty of purgatory, since it is very near to the horror of despair. Sixteen. Hell, purgatory, and heaven seem to differ the same as despair, fear, and assurance of salvation. 17. It seems as though for the souls in purgatory, fear should necessarily decrease and love increase. 18. Furthermore, it does not seem provided, either by reason or by scripture, that souls in purgatory are outside the state of merit, that is, unable to grow in love. 19. Nor does it seem proved that souls in purgatory, at least not all of them, are certain and assured of their own salvation, even if we ourselves may be entirely certain of it. 20. Therefore, the Pope, when he uses the words plenary remission of all penalties, does not actually mean all penalties, but only those imposed by himself. 21. Thus, those indulgence preachers are in error who say that a man is absolved from every penalty and saved by papal indulgences. 22. As a matter of fact, the Pope remits to souls in purgatory no penalty which, according to canon law, they should have paid in this life. 23. If remission of all penalties whatsoever could be granted to anyone at all, Certainly, it would be granted only to the most perfect, that is, to very few. 24. For this reason, most people are necessarily deceived by that indiscriminate and high-sounding promise of release from penalty. 25. That power which the Pope has in general over purgatory corresponds to the power which any bishop or curate has in a particular way in his own diocese and parish. 26. The Pope does very well when he grants remission to souls in purgatory, not by the power of the keys, which he does not have, but by way of intercession for them. 27. They preach only human doctrines who say that as soon as the money clinks into the money chest— the soul flies out of purgatory. 28. It is certain that when money clinks in the money chest, greed and avarice can be increased, but when the church intercedes, the result is in the hands of God alone. 29. Who knows whether all souls in purgatory wish to be redeemed, since we have exceptions in St. Severinus and St. Pascal, as related in legend. 30. No one is sure of the integrity of his own contrition, much less having received plenary remission. And after this message, you'll hear more. The man who actually buys indulgences is as rare as he who is really penitent. Indeed, he is exceedingly rare. 32. Those who believe that they can be certain of their salvation because they have indulgence letters will be eternally damned together with their teachers. 33. Men must especially be on guard against those who say that the Pope's pardons are are that inestimable gift of God by which man is reconciled to him. 34. For the graces of indulgences are concerned only with the penalties of sacramental satisfaction established by man. 35. They who teach that contrition is not necessary on the part of those who intend to buy souls out of purgatory or to buy confessional privileges preach unchristian doctrine. 36. Any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without indulgence letters. 37. Any true Christian, whether living or dead, participates in all the blessings of Christ and the Church, and this is granted him by God, even without indulgence letters. 38. Nevertheless, papal remission and blessing are by no means to be disregarded, for they are, as I have said in Thesis 6, the proclamation of divine remission. 39. It is very difficult, even for the most learned theologians, at one and the same time to commend to the people the bounty of indulgences and the need for true contrition. 40. As a Christian who is truly contrite, seeks and loves to pay penalties for his sins, The bounty of indulgences, however, relaxes penalties and causes men to hate them. At least it furnishes occasion for hating them. 41. Papal indulgences must be preached with caution, lest people erroneously think they are preferable to other good works of love. 42. Christians are to be taught that the Pope does not intend that the buying of indulgences should in any way be compared with works of mercy. 43. Christians are to be taught that he who gives to the poor or lends to the needy does a better deed than he who buys indulgences. 44. Because love grows by works of love, man therefore becomes better. Man does not, however, become better by means of indulgences, but is merely freed from penalties. 45. Christians are to be taught that he who sees a needy man and passes him by, yet gives his money for indulgences, does not buy papal indulgences, but God's wrath. 46. Christians are to be taught that unless they have more than they need, they must reserve enough for their family needs and by no means squander it on indulgences. 47. Christians are to be taught that the buying of indulgences is a matter of free choice, not commanded. 48. Christians are to be taught that the Pope is granting indulgences, needs, and thus desires their devout prayer more than their money. 49. Christians are to be taught that papal indulgences are useful only if they do not put their trust in them, but very harmful if they lose their fear of God because of them. 50. Christians are to be taught that if the Pope knew the exactions of the indulgence preachers, he would rather that the Basilica of St. Peter be burned to ashes than built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. 51. Christians are to be taught that the Pope would and should wish to give his own money, even though he had to sell the Basilica of St. Peter, to many of those from whom certain hawkers of indulgences cajole money. 52. It is vain to trust in salvation by indulgence letters, even though the indulgence commissary or even the Pope were to offer his soul as security. 53. They are the enemies of Christ and the Pope who forbid altogether the preaching of the Word of God in some churches in order that indulgences may be preached in others. 54. Injury is done to the Word of God when, in the same sermon, an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than to the Word. 55. It is certainly the Pope's sentiment that if indulgences, which are a very insignificant thing, are celebrated with one bell, one procession, and one ceremony, then the Gospel, which is the very greatest thing, should be preached with a hundred bells, a hundred processions, and a hundred ceremonies. 56. The true treasures of the church, out of which the Pope distributes indulgences, are not sufficiently discussed or known among the people of Christ. 57. That indulgences are not temporal treasures is certainly clear. For many indulgence sellers do not distribute them freely, but only gather them. 58 nor are they the merits of Christ and the saints. For even without the Pope, the latter always work grace for the inner man and the cross, death and hell for the outer man. 59. St. Lawrence said that the poor of the church were the treasures of the church, but he spoke according to the usage of the word in his own time. 60. Without want of consideration, we say that the keys of the church, given by the merits of Christ, are that treasure. 61. For it is clear that the Pope's power is of itself sufficient for the remission of penalties and cases reserved by himself. 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. 63. But this treasure is naturally odious, for it makes the first to be the last. And that is Matthew twenty sixteen so the last shall be the first and the first the last for many be called but few chosen 64. on the other hand the treasure of indulgences is naturally most acceptable for it makes the last to be the first 65. therefore the treasures of the gospel are nets with which one formerly fished for men of wealth 66. The treasures of indulgences are nets with which one now fishes for the wealth of men. 67. The indulgences, which the demagogues claim as the greatest graces, are actually understood to be only insofar as they promote gain. 68. They are nevertheless, in truth, the most insignificant graces when compared with the grace of God and the piety of the cross. 69. Bishops and curates are bound to admit the commissaries of papal indulgences with all reverence. 70. But they are much more bound to strain their eyes and ears lest these men preach their own dreams instead of what the Pope has commissioned. 71. Let him who speaks against the truth concerning papal indulgences be anathema and accursed. 72. But let him who guards against the lust and license of the indulgence, preachers, be blessed. 73. Just as the Pope justly thunders against those who by any means, whatever, contrive harm to the sale of indulgences. 74. Much more does he intend to thunder against those who use indulgences as pretext to contrive harm to holy love and truth. 75. To consider papal indulgences so great that they could absolve a man even if he had done the impossible and had violated the mother of God is madness. 76. We say, on the contrary, that papal indulgences cannot remove the very least of venial sins as far as guilt is concerned. 77. To say that even St. Peter, if he were now Pope, could not grant greater graces is blasphemy against St. Peter and the Pope. 78. We say, on the contrary, that even the present Pope, or any Pope whatsoever, has greater graces at his disposal, that is, the gospel, spiritual powers, gifts of healing, etc., as it is written. Corinthians 12.28 And God hath set some in the church, first apostles secondarily prophets and third teachers after that miracles then gifts of healings helps governments diversities of tongues 79 to say that the cross emblazoned with the papal coat of arms and set up by the indulgence preachers is equal in worth to the cross of christ is blasphemy 80 The bishops, curates, and theologians who permit such talk to be spread among the people will have to answer for this. 81. This unbridled preaching of indulgences makes it difficult even for learned men to rescue the reverence which is due the Pope from slander or from the shrewd questions of the laity. 82. Such as, why does not the pope empty purgatory for the sake of holy love and the dire need of souls that are there if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of miserable money with which to build a church the former reason would be most just the latter is most trivial 83 again Why are the funeral and anniversary masses for the dead continued, and why does he not return or permit the withdrawal of the endowments founded for them, since it is wrong to pray for the redeemed? 84. Again, what is this new piety of god and the pope that for a consideration of money they permit a man who is impious and their enemy to buy out of purgatory the pious soul of a friend of god and do not rather because of the need of that pious and beloved soul free it for pure love's sake 85 again why are the Penitential canons, long since abrogated and dead in actual fact and through disuse, now satisfied by the granting of indulgences as though they were still alive and in force. 86. Again, why does not the Pope, whose wealth is today greater than the wealth of the richest crassus, build this one basilica of St. Peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers? 87. 87. Again, what does the Pope remit or grant to those who, by perfect contrition, already have a right to full remission and blessings? 88. Again, what greater blessing could come to the Church than if the Pope were to bestow these remissions and blessings on every believer a hundred times a day, as he now does but once? 89 Since the pope seeks the salvation of souls rather than money by his indulgences why does he suspend the indulgences and pardons previously granted when they have equal efficacy 90 To repress these very sharp arguments of the laity by force alone and not to resolve them by giving reasons is to expose the church and the pope to the ridicule of their enemies and to make christ to make christians unhappy 91 If, therefore, indulgences were preached according to the spirit and intention of the Pope, all these doubts would be readily resolved. Indeed, they would not exist. 92. Away, then, with all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, Peace, peace, and there is no peace. That's from Jeremiah 6.14, which says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace when there is no peace 93 blessed be all those prophets who say to the people of christ cross cross and there is no cross 94 christians should be exhorted to be diligent in following christ their head through penalties death and hell and 95 and thus be confident of entering into heaven through many tribulations rather than through the false security of peace. Acts 14.22, which says, They strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in faith, saying, It is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for listening to that. That's the first time I've actually read something out in full for you guys. And if you enjoyed it, let me know if there are other things that you want me to go back and read from earlier episodes. I'm more than happy to add those in. Yeah, please let me know what you think. Bye. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash past poet.